The following podcast was recorded and produced by lapsed Star Wars enjoyers. While the hosts approach the material with some residual fondness, they are frequently reductive, dismissive, inaccurate, disrespectful, and deeply unfair to George Lucas, Timothy Zahn, and the Star Wars intellectual property in general. If this sounds like a bad time to you, you will have a bad time. Caveat listener, and on to the show. Hello all, all and sundry, gather round, gather round, as we listen to the recitation of the, the modern Homer, the, uh, the contemporary uh, bardic uh, hero of the English language, Timothy Zahn, as, uh, as we continue here on Thronderdome. I should say the name of the show, this is Thronderdome, listening to Thronderdome, a Star Wars novels podcast, uh, and uh, we continue our uh, journey into this uh, great work of American literature. My name is Dr. Daniel Doughty. I am joined, as always, by my intrepid co-host, Ronnie Gardaki. Ronnie, how are we feeling? Feeling good. Feeling throny. Oh, good. Nice. And my, my tendons are all thronged and thrumming. Yes, yes. <laughs> we, had a lot of, we had a lot of good, uh, uh, a lot of good scheming, I think, in this section, which will, uh, you know, we can, we can, Really get right into the the recap. We don't really have an opening uh, segment, do we? We just kind of no, not yet. <laughs> we just gotta introduce ourselves and roll right into it. Maybe we'll come up with something to kind of ease the audience in on it. But they, you know, Ronnie, they seem like a smart bunch. I mean, they seem pretty on the spot. I think I think they can keep up with us. You know, this 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 podcast is not for the feeble of mind. I, I think really, I, I trust the listeners, and I think they're very important. Uh, <laughs> so with, yeah, with they're all, all right. Yeah, <laughs> with all that ass kissing out of the way, we are at chapter eight in Timothy Zahn's *Heir to the Empire*, um, and by this point in the narrative, we have all of our—we pretty much have all of our sort of moving parts in place. And so these chapters are less. I think early on, each chapter is kind of introduced a different plot thread. And in these, they're kind of mixed in with the chapters a little more. It's a little more variegated. Uh, that's something I noticed. But uh, we open up Chapter 8 on the Bridge of the Chimera. Uh, a, a uh, Oh, no, I'm sorry. It's in, in Admiral Thrawn's uh, ready room where he's looking at his art, his holographic art. But it's uh, Thrawn, Peleon, Captain Peleon, the long-suffering Captain Peleon, and Joris Kabaoth, the Dark Jedi, we were introduced to last time, who's an essential element in Thrawn's plans. And um, so these three are sitting around kind of spitballing. Um, and Kabaoth is bitching about how he doesn't have his Jedi yet. He's a very, he's very whiny. <laughs> he's, he's very like, what you said. You promised there is a, your Nogri have failed, so too bad. And on to more pressing business. You promised me Jedi, Grand Admiral Thrawn. Um, so Thrawn kind of uh, assures... Joris Cabeoth, that uh, he will be getting Jedi babies to raise up in his image. Uh, and he's also hinting at kind of the next steps in his plan. We still don't know the full nature of Thrawn's plan yet. Uh, it's being a little drawn out uh, for us, the reader. Another masterful touch by Timothy Zahn. Um, but he's hinting that the next steps, because they talk about the cloaking device that they recovered from the Emperor's storehouse, that it they think they can get it working for a Star Destroyer, but it would be very expensive to do that. They mention a, uh, a shipyard, the Sluis Van Shipyards, and they're going to need some mining machines uh, called Mole Miners. And I appreciate the detail that uh, Peleon ran the numbers, and they're going to need at least 40 of these babies. 
I just thought that was a really funny touch. <laughs> but Thrawn also mentions Sparty cylinders, um, which are mysterious to the reader and Joris Kabaoth as well, because uh, I think there is an actual line. He, he mentions like, oh, and the, the Sparty cylinders are at 80%. And uh, it goes, Sparty cylinders, Kabaoth frowned. What are those? <laughs> I love the yeah, idea of a, Thr- of a Thrawn, dark Jedi Thrawn, master saying, what are those? Yeah, Thrawn just responds that uh, it's just that other little bit of technology I was hoping to find in the mountain. Yeah, 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 yeah. Which apparently is enough for Kabeoth, because he, like, drops it. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, let's see. So they, uh, they kind of, you know, chatter around a bit. Uh, Thrawn has Peleon order another Nogri commando team uh, into action to try to kidnap Leia. And I thought this was kind of fun that he's, he's having Peleon do it because that will communicate an insult to the Nogri. That lets them know he's displeased with his little dobbies that he made his other lackey, you know, tell them what to do. Um, and <laughs> kind of most, most funny is they, they cook up a little plan. Um, and they have a little plan to get Luke... To capture Luke, right? So what they're doing is they are working out uh, a, a plan for a kind of lightning strike against multiple planetary systems at once, which they can do now with ultimate coordination because of Kabeoth's, you know, Jedi mind powers. Um, but of course, Kabeoth, you know, he's in it for the Jedi. He's like, eh, what, you know, why should I do this for you? So they cook up a little plan so that during the time that they're executing this lightning hit... Uh, they're going to start spreading rumors <laughs> about a dark, a lost Jedi reappearing on some backwater planet that will, I don't know how they worked out the timing on this exactly. Apparently they, it, it would work very well that those will get to Luke Skywalker uh, after a point when it would be convenient for Kabayoth to go and hang out on the planet Jomark to get ready to meet him. Uh, so, so, so Kabayoth is, is, is uh, mollified with that. Uh, so Ronnie, I know that, you know, if you haven't had enough of, uh, people bickering in a room, we smash cut back to Coruscant for another high council meeting. (laughs) (laughs) And, and, uh, this is where, let's see there. So basically this is kind of the fallout from the, from the Bim Sari debacle and, uh, the Bothan is really giving Han the business over canceling, their diplomatic mission, which frankly I think is pretty reasonable to do, given that there was a kidnapping attempt on the ambassador that had the collusion of the authorities on the planet. I, I feel it's Han's very reasonable in this one, <laughs> but apparently uh, it's just uh, you know it's a little beyond the pale. So there's it's setting up for some sniping between Phalia and Admiral Akbar. So uh, so Han now you know he doesn't exactly. I think Han kind of shares, he shares the smuggler's dislike of Admiral Akbar, And now, of course, you know, Felia is coming for him. And just the whole High Council is just a bunch of, it's just a mess. Um, but they... I don't know, Admir- Admiral Akbar seems pretty alright. I mean, he basically agrees with Han Solo on everything. And it's really just the Bothan that's, that's uh, being a, a fly in the ointment. That's so a good point. Speak. Yeah, I, I was conflating with a scene later. Actually, I'm, I'm realizing now for when Han gets gets tetchy with Admiral Akbar. So we won't, you know, we won't get to that yet. Um, but the <laughs> so they, they but there's this, that, this there's this long passage where they're just like discussing, you know, 
the Nelgri and you know uh, these these gray skinned beings like if they weren't important enough to be in the be in the Galactic Senate's uh, files, then who cares? Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> it's it's uh, the Fela says I doubt a race that insignificant is likely to be capable of mounting a major offensive against us. It's like, like well, well, did you did you read the previous <laughs> chapter? They did almost kidnap fucking Princess Leia and Luke Skywalker, the two most important people in the New Republic. But yeah, you know, I, they got lucky, I guess. And who cares? They're not even. They're not in. They're not even in the Galactic Who's Who. You know. And then so. there's just this long scene of like them discussing like what does it mean that they're not in the the Galactic Files and like well they could have been erased from the files or they could have been uh, never charted from the files or whatever and. It, it just goes on for like two pages. Yes, yes, it's insane. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's a really and, and these are not a very. This is not a very interesting race of aliens, honestly. It's really not, and it's not very interesting to, uh, to like, I guess go go through the reasons why they might be. I don't know. The whole thing was just really. It was it was odd. The, I mean the whole the whole book is odd, of course, but. Um, oh, I lost my place in my uh, my ebook. I gotta get back to it. Can, can we just say that uh, Pelion is obviously just the the reader identification character in this in this book? Yes, yes. I, I I think you're absolutely right, and I would love for you to expand on that because we have pretty much concluded that Thrawn is the author insert, but Pelion. I think you're right. Pelion is there to be the audience insert. Well, Playon is always going on about well, well, this is how the the Empire usually does stuff, and then Thrawn's like, "Well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna put that on its ear, check that out," and, <laughs> and right. so so I have an example in chapter eight, like uh, like uh, Playon is like ready to you know get his get like his ass kicked by Thrawn for like failing him or whatever, and then. Thrawn smiled faintly. You served too long under Lord Vader, Captain. I have no qualms about accepting a useful idea merely because it wasn't my own. My position and ego are not at stake here. So it's like a combination of, like, you know, this isn't your daddy's empire, and also, uh, this is how uh, Darth Vader kind of sucked. Because instead <laughs> right. of, like, Instead of like uh, engendering uh, like team building exercises, he would just uh, force choke people to death. <laughs> it's true, yeah. Uh, Grand Admiral Thrawn does have some uh, some critiques of Vader's uh, management style. Uh, he would he would make a good uh, consultant to be brought in. Um, <laughs> I, uh, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm just waiting for the line where Thrawn says, "Well, Vader's so great that how come he's dead?" Oh, I'm sure that's coming at some point. <laughs> now, one thing that uh, was... Real, I guess we'll wrap up what, what happens in Chapter 8, and then I get to introduce something marvelous for the listeners. Um, so uh, there's, there, there's there's bickering. There's uh, it's, it's concluded, though, amongst the High Council that uh, the, uh, the, the, the BIMs are just too important. We got to send Leia back right away. We, we got we to get that, that big shopping center in the New Republic, <laughs> so we gotta send her back right away. Han, of course, is not happy about that, uh, but Mon Mothma is there saying, like, well, just, I mean, there's nothing we can do. We gotta we gotta send her back out. I'm sorry, but, you know, there's urgent demands. Uh, so Han grumbles 
and uh, and you know that's that's kind of the end of, of chapter eight. Now, well, also, well, also, uh, Leia wanted to take some time off from uh, from being a, a diplomat so she could do some Jediing training. Yeah, yeah, that's and, right. You know, probably also, you know, like maternity leave and shit like that. But uh, but yeah, that uh, she. She wants to, you know, take some time off to do some Jediing, and she gets uh, denied that. Cause, <laughs> yep. Because I guess she's like the only diplomat uh, in the entire. <laughs> she's like. Yeah, she's apparently the only, and they make mention at some point of just like, hey, in a year or two, we'll have more trained, you know, ambassadors and diplomats or whatever. But it's like, the, yeah. Like, it really well, does I mean, not it's like, make you any know, sense. You know, who the fuck else is going to do it? Is the fucking calamari monster man? <laughs> the, the the furry horse person? The, the sneaky horse face person, you know? Is it going gonna, to be yak face? Come on. Who else is going to do this in Star Wars world? It's got to be Princess Leia. Um, yeah, who looks like Carrie Fisher. So <laughs> Right. I mean, that's automatically, you know, you're... you're, you're that uh, improves your diplomatic bargaining position. Um, so one thing now, now Ronnie, you've been reading an ebook version of this. I have a, a print book that that Ronnie sent me that I've mostly been reading. But in order to get some uh, reading done on my my lunch break at work, I thought, um, you know what? I bet the library's ebook services have this available. Um, I'll go ahead and check, and then I'll I'll start reading the the ebook here since I left my my print book at home. And so I did. It turns out that using the Libby service, which is a marvelous service, check to see if your library uses it. Uh, we do indeed have what apparently is a kind of anniversary edition of Heir to the Empire, which is annotated by the author. So, I mean, which I think, which one is pretty funny uh, from the standpoint of like, I mean... Zahn is a pretty open book when you're reading this. Like, I feel, I feel like he's pretty transparent as a writer about like, you know, what his, his hobby horses are and whatnot, but it is pretty funny to have it direct from the horse's mouth. Um, and speaking of direct from the horse's mouth, I thought this was great. He's talking about Phalia. Uh, so there's a line here that says Phalia sniffed. Uh, say, Oh, um, they're talking about, they're talking about the no and whether they erase their own, uh, records. I didn't say it was necessarily the Senate's idea, Luke said. Maybe the aliens themselves destroyed their records. Phalia sniffed. Far-fetched. Even if it was possible, why would anyone want to do it? And there's a little endnote. And so I click on the endnote, which takes me to the notes for chapter 8. Um, and Timothy Zahn says, I generally dislike writing characters who deliberately distort, misinterpret, or ignore facts for their own political ends the way Phalia does here. Probably because I dislike seeing that done in real life. But sometimes the requirement of the story means you just have to take a deep breath and do it. TZ. <laughs> it's like, Dear like, Lord. <laughs> I was so thrilled when I discovered this and to, to voice this on you, uh, uh, Ronnie. Is, Tim- is Timothy Zahn Ned Flanders? I also love that, like you're 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 writing a novel, dude. Like, yeah, you're not writing. Well, it's like that episode of The Simpsons where uh, Marge got that letter writing campaign started, and so they started making nice yeah. cartoons where they just sit and drink lemonade. It's like, yeah, you're gonna have to use your imagination to think of a, a crappy guy you hate because he's a bad guy. Like, what the fuck is wrong with you? Yep, sometimes you just gotta take a deep breath and write a guy who sucks. Mm. You know, I hate it, but them's the breaks. 
What a great, I, I also uh, love that that would be like Timothy Zahn's political views. Like <laughs> he just just not a not a fan of distorting things. I just you know I, I like straight shooters. You know that's what I'm. I was a big fan of John McCain's Straight Talk Express in 2000. That's what to, I'm to go about. back to the Simpsons for a moment. Uh, I'm reminded of when uh, Skinner's looking at political buns, and you know, aren't there nonpartisan ones? <laughs> may the better man win let's have a good clean election things like that yes yeah <laughs> i think that count that 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 sort of for a lot of people that comes across as being uh that's how you're mature about politics like you don't actually think seriously about powers and how they're arrayed against you and what kind of blocks are at work it's just really you have to sh- shake your head and sigh that they that they can't play nice you know that's that shows that you're a real serious guy um <laughs> Anyway. But hey, this was this was made in the '90s, so it was like you know the the end of history and all that. That's true. Yeah, it's 1993. The, I mean, the Republican Revolution hasn't even happened yet. We're we're still very comfortably in the uh, basking in the glow of the Cold War ending. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, they had solved right. everything, so it's just you know down to like making sure those Bothans aren't distorting the record. <laughs> That's right. It's just, yeah, it's 1993, man. We're just really, we're just sort of like patching up loose ends, like destroying the welfare system and gutting American manufacturing with NAFTA. You know, it's tying up a few loose ends. Anyway, yeah, don't, exactly. get me, go, don't get me started on the Clinton administration. Uh, we'll be here. We'll be here all night. Uh, anyway. God, I, uh, I wish that Zahn would just like, just become nakedly partisan during the book and like... Uh, <laughs> just becomes this weird crypto republican novel <laughs> I, I we'll see where it goes i mean you know there's there's still time uh but that was unfortunately chapter... i believe that uh zahn's uh political opinions are as anodyne as uh the end note suggests i i would imagine so i think he's a he, he's a paid up reasonable dad centrist for sure um I, although hey, he could he could surprise us, you know. I, I I haven't looked into what he's been saying lately, mostly thirty years ago. So you know, maybe he has some cool hot takes. Um, speaking of hot takes, that's a terrible segue because there's nothing about takes in chapter nine. Uh, this is where the latest uh, the Chimera Admiral Thrawn's fleet is launching its sophisticated uh, multi pronged strike. Um, so they're they're launching this coordinated operation in the. Bpfash system. I don't know how you pronounce that one. It's spelled B P F A S S H. Um, I mean that. I mean that's just a fuck you to the reader. It really is. It really, really is. There's actually well, there's so that planet Jomark I mentioned uh, earlier, where uh, Kabaoth is going to set up his little ambush. In the end notes, it says that that's actually a little a little joke name based on the name of his friend Mark Jones. So planet Jomark comes from some guy in Tampa's name. Um, so who knows where Bipafash, uh, came from. It does as soon as I saw that, I was just like, you just gave up. This is, this is, this is keyboard mashing, man. Screw you. Timothy Zahn truly is the most interesting man in the world. <laughs> he is, he's an unending, uh, source of inspiration and fascination, really. Um, so the, so they're, they're on, on the, on deck on the Chimera. Uh, the Star Destroyer. They're launching this uh, operation. Uh, uh, Thrawn is is there, of course, in his flagship, the Chimera, at the Bafash system. Apparently, this is a gutsy, close-in hyperspace maneuver. They're they're the way they're going to bamboozle the New Republic is by is by hyperspacing in real a lot closer than you typically would. 
Um, but apparently, this is something they've been drilling a lot uh, in Thrawn's fleet, so they can they can master this this you know particular maneuver. Um, the Dark Jedi Joris Cabeoth is uh, not only doing battle buffs to everybody, but he is also communicating long distance with the other arms of the fleet in the other star systems. So they'll they have this kind of instantaneous command system that is apparently uh, superior to whatever subspace garbage or whatever they 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 are typically known to to use i guess again it's one of those things where like the technology of star wars is unclear like can you make phone calls like across the galaxy i don't i don't know <laughs> i guess in the in the movies there are those scenes where like vader has like a hologram council with the other captains on some other star destroyers and stuff like an empire strikes back but i don't know if like it seems it's usually just, like, telepathic stuff that Jedi do. Yeah, yeah. So I guess that is special, and that's, and that's for whatever reason, there's not a technology that can approximate that. Um, one bit that I thought was really funny, uh, I gotta find the exact uh, wording, um, is Peleon is, uh, again, kind of as, as a, uh, you know, the, 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 the reader insert is, is reflecting on how like, ah, this does feel different from the last times, you know, we've been doing, you know, operations and whatnot. Even with Admiral Thrawn's, you know, masterful tactics, this is going even better than, than you know, than typically. Uh, so, slowly, reluctantly, Peleon reached to his board. A few weeks back, he'd made up a statistical composite of the Chimera's battle profiles for the past year. He called it up and superimposed it over the current analysis. There was no mistake. In every single category and subcategory of speed, coordination, efficiency, and accuracy, the Chimera and its crew were running no less than 40% more effective than usual. Which is probably the funniest amount of percent. <laughs> it just feels like... I know that that's... Look, if I got a 40% raise tomorrow, that's huge. Like, I'll, I'll take that or whatever. But you have a magic space wizard on board and the best he can do is buff you 40%. That just seems really funny to me. That was such a great choice. It's like what's what's impressive but not too impressive. Now we're not going to do 50%. That's too much. <laughs> Dial it down a little bit. They're 40% better. Uh uh in terms of uh like nonsense, uh I also appreciate when uh there's a there's a bit where they uh where they're in uh, hyperspace or whatever, mm-hmm. and the the helmsman says speed point three. Mm-hmm. I'm just thinking, like the the speed of point three. I I don't know what what is. I don't know what that means. Yeah, they were they were cruising at like <clears throat> like hyperspace factor four earlier in the book. So I don't know what kind of relation point three has to that. Is it point three of one, or is it like a third of max output? I mean. I mean, speed can't. Speed isn't a number. I mean, it, <laughs> it is. It's well. It's, I, yeah, it can be expressed as a ratio. But yeah, you're right. Like, it's not just one number. It's got to be. It's it's got to have some other aspects to it. Uh, it reminds me of that uh, that mystery science theater three thousand joke in the space mutiny episode where they're on the like floor buffers. It's like, <laughs> right. speed goes all the way up to three. <laughs> we'll, be, we'll be reaching speeds of three. Oh, yes. Um, so the uh, so the operation's going great. Uh, 
there's oh there was another uh, informative endnote actually uh, which I need to find here yeah here we go so uh, Peleon tapped keys at his station giving the Chimera status a quick pre-light speed check another bit of conventional military wisdom was that Star Destroyers should play the role of mobile siege stations in this kind of full planet engagement that to employ them in hit and fade operations was both wasteful and potentially dangerous there's an end note after hit and fade where uh, Timothy uh, tells us uh, another of the challenges in writing air was to come up with phrases that are familiar and are properly descriptive, but aren't quite the way we would normally say them. Thus hit and run becomes hit and fade TZ. Brilliant. <laughs> so what do you, well, yeah. What do you think, Ronnie? Does that, does that, <laughs> does, does that help you out in like understanding what's going on there? Absolutely not. I I just love um I love the window into Timothy Zahn's creative process we're getting with these notes. It's really really good. Uh, I so guess the, the important important thing of this chapter is that you really get uh, Sabath. Uh, uh, you get his uh, part of the plan because he's uh he's meant to. Uh, like command the forces using his Jedi powers. Mm-hmm. And I guess part of this is like Thrawn testing to see if uh Sabath will accept orders. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, yeah, like it's a, there there's a bit of like the kind of like power struggle ish kind of moments or whatever, but he, he does seem to bitch out pretty quick. Yeah, he seems a very one dimensional character. <laughs> That's a very good point. Well, he's he's a mad clone, you know. You can't expect him to have a rich inner life. He's just, uh, he's obsessed. Um, Daniel, yeah. we have to talk about your anti-clone bias. <laughs> oh, we'll we'll save that for a uh, for a Thronderdome segment in a later episode. How about that? We'll we'll make that one of our great debates. Sure. All right. All right. We're marking it down. Putting a pin in that one. Um. So anyway, the, the, the hit and fade operations, to use the proper Star Wars terminology, uh, goes off without a hitch. They blow up a few uh, installations on the planet, uh, fash. Um, it's going well in the other, uh, the other places. So the New Republic is sending, like, they're picking up, like, oh, we have, you know, five cruisers on the way. Um, but they've smashed stuff up enough. They've made their point. The Thrawn tested whether Kabaoth can be relied upon to follow orders. So they, uh, they do the fade part of the hit and fade, and away they go. But, uh, what's this? Who's been watching this whole time? Why, there's the freighter, the wild card, with Talon Card and Mara Jade. And I don't know if it ever came up, like, apparently they were there doing a smuggling run to Bupfash, uh, when all this started going down. And of course, they, you know, wisely hold back. Um, and, uh, they hold back uh, and, and Talon card scrubs the, the delivery. They're like, ah, oh, we're going to have to cancel delivery. There's an Imperial attack. So, you know, and Mara gets really pissed about that. She's like, how dare you cancel the delivery? How dare you? We made a promise. We promised them. And she gets really mad and really enraged, uh, which I think is supposed to be a hint as to like why she hates Luke Skywalker. Um, <laughs> or at least that's what I, I felt was going on there. Uh, well, one thing I don't understand about the book so far is I don't know how long, how long, uh, events have been taking place. Cause you get yeah. something earlier in this chapter saying that they've been 
like training this maneuver for a year so that suggests that Thrawn has been in charge of the Chimera for at least a year and you know right. been hanging out with Pelion and, and the gang but also it's like it clearly hasn't been a year for the rest of the characters yeah I think I think what I think that bit about like training the maneuver is I think that was like something he was drilling his forces on before the emperor died. Like when he was, when he was like a, a backwater, you know, doing patrols at the edge of the, at the galaxy kind of stuff. Like he was working on these tactical maneuvers. It just, I it, guess. just it just stuck out at me because, uh, it was one of the few instances of, uh, noting that time passed. Yeah. Like a certain, like a direct span of time. Yeah. Uh, and they, they did mention earlier that, um, like it had been four days since the, the dust up on BIM. Uh, so that's like, okay, so this is all taking place in like a week, <laughs> which is okay. Um, but Daniel, I think you really buried the lead there by, uh, by just briefly mentioning the fact that Talon Card's uh, ship is called the Wild Card. <laughs> now, it is. Now, now when I read that, I almost decided to, uh, quit reading the book. Because <laughs> and and scrub we, scrub the podcast. I'm not reading this anymore. We're done. We're not doing it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that is just a vast insult to all readers. <laughs> you don't think it's cool? You don't think it's something a cool smuggler would do? Uh, oh wait, oh I, Ronnie, there's a, there's an end note. <laughs> Hold on. So it's that far ahead of the freighter Wild Card, one of the Imperial Star Destroyers centered on the cockpit's forward viewpoint gave a flicker of pseudo-motion and disappeared. They're leaving, Mara announced. So there's a little end note after Wild Card. Let's read it. Uh, here we go. Ah, here we go. All of Card's ship names involve puns or some kind of wordplay. So his ships are called the Wild Card. So Wild Card, K-A-R-D-E, like his name, parentheses, Wild Card. Starry Ice, I-C-E, parentheses, Starry Eyes, and Ether Way, parentheses, Either Way, and so on. T-Z. <laughs> well, that's I disagree so, with you, Mr. That's, Zahn. <laughs> that's just so much worse. Oh, my God. What a good book this is. I'm so glad we're spending our time doing this. Um, <laughs> I mean, I mean, uh, much like the, uh, the Chris Rock joke, it's like, if you have a funny sign and you're homeless, you're not really homeless because when you're homeless, you're too hungry to be funny. Yeah, uh, yeah. I think I think if you're in the Star Wars universe, your your life is too uh, too hectic and and, uh, and <laughs> to 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 do puns and wordplay. Right, right. You're 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 beset on all sides by Jawas and Tie Fighters and Jedi's. Like you don't have time to come up. He's he's come up with like names for his for his uh bass boat, you know, down at the marina is what he's doing. You know. Uh so we have you're a little like coming, moment. You're like coming up with cute names for your Wi Fi network. <laughs> I, there's one in my neighborhood that someone named it "Hide Your Kids, Hide Your Wi-Fi." Remember that? Hide your kids, hide your wife. Oh, that's clever. Yeah, isn't that cool? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That, that was funny because it was about uh, a serial rapist in a in a poor black neighborhood. So you know, it's cool to make jokes with your Wi-Fi about that. Uh, anyway, well, somebody's got to. <laughs> somebody's got. Somebody's got to take bring the lighter side to these kinds of things. 
So we have, it's just a little, I guess, really, I think this served just to remind people that Talon Card and Mara Jade were characters because their section ends very quickly. Um, just with like, ooh, they were pulling up to make a delivery and the Star Destroyers came and blew shit up. And so then they backed out and Mara got mad. You know, the end. Um, I, I did notice that another case of them using the, uh, Zahn using uh, the phrase Hornet's Nest. Oh, is, yeah. Uh, the whole system is also expecting a small hornet's nest of New Republic ships. Hey, yeah, and and didn't we just read an endnote where Zom was like, oh, one of the most important things when writing a, a Star Wars novel is you can't say hit and run. So I had to come up with something else. Come up with something else besides hornet's nest. Call it a, 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 a Bobo's nest, a, a, a Duclo's den. You know? It's Star Wars. Star Wars it up a little bit. Yeah. There's a yeah. whole bunch of monsters in Star Wars. That's right. Yeah. That have it's, nests. Hey, how about this? You can pull it straight from the canon. Uh, it's about to be a Minox nest in there. Huh? Boom. Yeah, exactly. Done. I swear to... Timothy, I know you're America's preeminent wordsmith, but... I don't know. You should have handed this project over to me, clearly. Me and Ronnie. <laughs> I think we, we, could, we could do better. <laughs> so we have that little interlude with, uh, with Talon Card and Mara Jade, the most important characters. It's reminding you that they're there. Um, we come back to, uh, I guess, Cor- I guess they're still on uh, Coruscant here, but it's Luke is training Leia with the little floaty zappy guy from the first Star Wars movie that he was training with on the ship with uh, with Ben Kenobi. Um, so Luke's trying to. <laughs> so he's so his so basically Luke is. Uh, inflicting a little device that floats around and shoots a little taser at his pregnant sister to train her on how to use a uh, laser sword, which just seems all very safe for a pregnant woman. Yeah, but an old man made him do it, so she has to do it too. That's true. I mean, that really is... He's not working with much. It's not like he was really, like, truly inducted into the pedagogy of training Jedi. He just kind of, you know... He kind of had a, a crash course on the way to the the space station to blow it up and then uh you know i guess yeah, he got bri- he got briefly trained by his weird uncle and then a like <laughs> a green so muppet in the in the swamp that's right yeah it's really it's it's like it's like trying to teach spanish when all you've had is like you 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 worked waiting tables and sometimes uh talked with the with like the guys washing the dishes and now you're going to be teaching spanish but but we'll get to Yoda later. Uh, he, <laughs> oh, he we will, yeah. That does come up a bit, doesn't it? Um, well, at least indirectly makes an appearance. Right, right. More, anyway. more, more. His his presence is recalled. Um, so, uh, so Luke and Leia are there training. Uh, you know, Leia's feeling down on herself, saying like, "Ah, maybe I should not do the light, light, light laser sword stuff." And Luke's like, "No, no, no. You have to do it. No, it's Jedi stuff." Uh, Han Han buzzes in. You know he's buzzing in. I guess the apartments or wherever in the in the palace. And uh, my this is so my they favorite have doorbells in in Star Wars. I mean, I guess buzzing. It says the door buzzed. It's Han. Leia said, stepping away from the remote and closing down her lightsaber. Come in, she called. Uh, hi, Han said as he walked into the room. <laughs> well, he just says hi. <laughs> Uh, but uh, coming up, I, is... I, like, I, I, I like this page because it uh, it includes both your favorite phrase "hit and fade," mm-hmm. and also it has Han talking shit about Admiral Akbar, as you mentioned previously. 
Uh, he yeah, says, yeah. Uh, problem is he's got nothing to back it up, except for the style and tactics. This is all pretty much the same rearguard harassment the Empire's been pulling for probably the last year and a half. And then Leia, I like what Leia responds with, I know, Leia gritted, but don't sell Akbar short. He's got good military instincts, no matter what certain other people say. <laughs> Slap him back. Also, gritted? Does, did he mean, like, through gritted teeth? I guess. I would not verb... I don't think that verb can work that way. I Again, some, some Timothy, I, I know, I this is like, uh, you know... Uh, Whatever the opposite of praise from Caesar is, I know that's what I'm giving, but you know we could do better. Now we do. I think my there's a good line in here, one that I thought was a pretty good joke, and then Timothy ruined it with a with a note. And this is great. You're gonna love this, Ronnie. Um, so he's kind of talking about what happened. Uh, the Imperials, Han said sourly, they just pulled a three prong hit and fade on three systems in the Sluis sector, some place called Bpfash and two unpronounceable ones. And you know, fair enough. You're like, okay, I, I think that's a, that's a fair joke. Uh, you know, you, that's pretty good. Um, there's an there's an end note for this one. End note number ten for chapter nine. For some reason, Han not lumping Bupfash in with the unpronounceable ones strikes me as both funny and very Han. Tz. <laughs> like, what do, you, what do you mean? For some reason, the reason is you thought it was funny and you wrote it. <laughs> That's why it strikes you as funny. You wrote a joke. <laughs> Every time I hear TZ, I just get angrier. Oh, I love it. Like, and, and that's what's really funny is that all these... I mean, I don't know what the formatting would look like in the, in the print edition. But, like, every one of these notes is signed TZ. Like, was... Is, yeah, that makes, at me, any point, that is makes there, me hate it more. Is there anyone else making these endnotes? I haven't seen one so far. I am going to have to, uh, readers and listeners, I'm, I'm, I'm promising you this now. I'm going to have to, of course, go back and read through all of the notes for everything we've read already. Because this is just such a wonderful insight and resource. And I am thrilled that we, uh, that we have this now. Uh, I just thought that was the funniest I, thing. I, I, I don't know, dude. That way lies madness. <laughs> You're right. I, still, I do need to still keep a little mystery. Uh, I'll only you click stared, on the end note you stared to when the, I'm very the, curious. The Zahn, the Zahn stares into you. <laughs> that's that's a really good point. Um, so uh, Han goes over how the damage wasn't as bad as it could have been. Uh, they hit each place pretty hard, but then pulled back. But all three systems are pretty shook up. So, of course, Leia, I can imagine, Leia side. let me guess. Mon Mothma wants me to go out there and assure them that the New Republic really is able and willing to protect them. So, so there we go. Uh, not only was she gonna go, have to go right back to the to, to the bims to make sure that the flea market is included in the New Republic. No, nope, they're scratching that because she has to go to the place which was just hit by the greatest tactician they've ever faced, who they know is operating in the area. Uh, but they're gonna go send their one diplomat who's pregnant with Jedi twins out there to go check it out. <laughs> so, well, what I find what I find interesting <clears throat> about this. Uh, passages that uh, Luke isn't allowed to go because the Bifasi don't like Jedi. And yes. the explanation for that is that uh, the story is that some of their Jedi went bad during the Clone Wars and really mangled things before they were stopped. Or so Mon Mothma says. <laughs> and, and then and then Leia like, uh, continues with that and is like, one of them even got so far as Dagobah 
before he was caught. And that just causes Luke to flash back to the time he, uh, you know, was harassed by a Muppet into becoming a Jedi. That's right. That's absolutely right. Yes. Um, yeah, so that brings up Dagobah. And that gets Luke, you know, the chapter kind of closes out with Luke thinking a lot about uh, what a bad teacher he is. Uh, he turns on the, the little floater thingy to train and gets lost in the moment. He's in the flow state, and he didn't realize it. He'd gone the full 20-minute round on it. Um, he's really thinking a lot about Yoda and on Dagobah, right? And so uh, a dark Jedi might have raided to Dagobah. You know, maybe that has something with that, to do with that creepy cave that was there. Uh, so uh, Luke calls down to the spaceport and says, Hey, have my X-Wing prepped for launch in one hour. And so Luke's decided while they're off visiting these recently smashed planets, he's going to go to Dagobah. Uh, as Luke keyed off. Yeah, said, he's, no. he's going to go to Dagobah because someone said to him that there was maybe a dark Jedi there 35 <laughs> years ago. So that's Dagobah, hey? <laughs> so he's off. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. Which brings us to uh, chapter 10. Uh, which opens up with uh, Wedge, a very Millhouse line. All right, I don't know. I, Wedge is the Millhouse of this whole setting, I believe. If we can continue with the Simpsons comparisons, um, Wedge has Wedge has a great uh, the first line. His voice grimly conversational. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I don't know what that means. As you can see, Wedge said his voice grimly conversational as he crunched through plastic and ceramic underfoot. The place is something of a mess. Shut up. Just shut up, nerd. Oh, someone needs to do a little tidying up around here. Yeah, I just got bombed from space. Asshole. This whole fake... Ah, fuck you, Wedge. Wedge. Had it with this guy. <laughs> He's barely had any lines and I've already had it with him. He's basically <laughs> a nepotism hire, isn't he? You know, he's just like the savior of the galaxy's best friend. And he gets, he gets you know, a... a his uh, golden ticket through that. Yeah, yeah. Well, I guess it's as the he's the leader of Rogue Squadron, you know, the elite X-wing crew. So that that gets him a little bit of cred, I guess. But he probably got that assignment because you know, yeah, he's he's Luke's pal, uh, and he and he was. Uh, well, I guess he was along. He was along with destroying the second Death Star, and that gets you a lot of. I mean, that can get you pretty far, I think. You know, you, you, you yeah, the second Death that. Star. I mean, that was that was easy. I mean. <laughs> It wasn't even I think it was completed. like only partially constructed. Yeah, you could fly right into it. It, it. it was much easier than bullseyeing womp rats back home. Um, but anyway, so they're 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 on uh, Bufash. It's like it's like fucking up a construction site. It's like yeah, they don't yeah, even yeah, have yeah, a building yeah. yet. That's a good point. I don't think they said so. We're holding quiet conversations with their Bufashi escorts. Are the Bufashi ever described? Like at any point. No. I don't think they are. Yeah. It's just like, okay, here's some more aliens. I don't know. It's up to you. I, here's some more aliens. I smashed my fingers on the keyboard to give them a name. Fuck you. I'm Timothy Zahn. I have endnotes to write. I can't be bothered to <laughs> to write a book. <laughs> Zahn does describe that the uh, sky is a deep blue-green. So All right, that's, well, that's something. Okay. That's a, at least a nice touch. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so they're... They're stomping around. They're uh, they're talking about what's going on. And here's I think one of the one of the funniest things here. Um, 
So Leia's having, you know, she she's having some uh, her spidey sense is tingling. You know, she doesn't like it because <clears throat> they're talking about how the well coordinated the strike was. And Han says, "You okay?" He asks quietly. Yes, she murmured, shivering again. I was just remembering that when, well, when Darth Vader was having us tortured on Bespin, Luke knew it was happening from wherever he was at the time. Didn't, he didn't tell them he was at Dagobah. Like they haven't told the story to each other. Anyway, I like how uh, the next line is uh, Han reminding Leia that that the Emperor and Vader are both dead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there were rumors that the Emperor and Vader could do that too. Yeah, but they're both dead. Han reminded her. Luke said so. Luke said so. (laughs) I know, she said. The tingling at the edge of her mind was getting stronger. But what if the Imperials have found another dark Jedi? Wedge had gotten ahead of them, and now he turned back. Hey, you talking about (laughs) Kabath? What? Leia frowned. Jorus Kabath, Wedge said. I thought I heard you mention Jedi. I did, Leia said. Who is Jorus Kabath? He was one of the major Jedi Masters back in the pre-Empire days, Wedge said. Supposed to have disappeared before the Clone Wars started. I heard a rumor a couple days ago that he surfaced again and set up shop on some minor world named Joe Mark. So How the hell does Wedge know this? <laughs> and what... How... Like, alright, you're, you're Grand Admiral Thrawn. Planting this misinformation, I guess not even misinformation, but planting this information is like a major element in your plan to trap the one remaining Jedi. And you're relying on just like seeding some rumors around somewhere that Wedge Antilles will pick up and then communicate to Leia, who will then tell Luke. I guess? And another thing that bugs me about this is they're using the... We talked about in the last episode the... Uh, apparently, if you're a clone, you can't pronounce your own name. Uh, and yes. so to to reflect that in the text, they give the name Joris for the clone as Joruus. J-O-R-U-U-S. And so Wedge and Leia are both saying Joruus Kabeoth. But they wouldn't know him as Joruus Kabeoth. They would know him as Joris Kabeoth, the major Jedi Master. It's not does not make any sense. I do like how the the Star Wars canon has retconned itself to the point where, you know, in the first Star Wars, uh, Han Solo dismissed Jedi's as just a bunch of uh, supernatural uh, nonsense. But now you got like Wedge Antilles talking about Jedi Masters from the pre-empire days oh <laughs> right. uh, you know those jedi masters yeah 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 and the first yeah the first movie it was kind of like yeah jedi like they may or may not or like even like the you know i mean that was a bit with darth vader right where the the imperial officers were just like ah you're stupid hoary old religion no but nobody believes that crap <laughs> yeah like, and then we find out then we find out via the prequels that this has all taken place over the span of about 30 years and, it, and, it, and there was, like, a big office building for the Jedi. And, like, everybody knew what Jedi were. And, like, it's, man. Well, I was actually, I was, I was, I was talking with my wife, actually, earlier tonight at dinner, talking about how I was looking forward to recording the show. And just kind of talking about how much of what's stupid in Star Wars is a result of, like, George Lucas, like, you know, wrote a script for a movie. And didn't know if he was going to make any more or whatever. He wrote a script for a movie. I don't believe that he actually sketched out the entire nine 
or, or six, you know, prequels and trilogy or whatever. I don't believe that. I think that's a lie. I think he's lying about that. Um, what he did was he wrote a little movie and sprinkled in some flavor text, right? He sprinkles in an, a mention of a clone war. He sprinkles in the word parsec. Just because, like, ah, we'll make it sound all spacey. And then everyone cares about it. It becomes this huge phenomenon. And all of a sudden, these things have to fit into a wider framework. And no one knows how to do that. And it just is all so stupid. Uh, I mean, man. I mean, it's just like, imagine, imagine if... Uh... Bernie Sanders won the presidency in 2020 and like flash forward to 2028 and people are like, Christianity, what's that? (laughs) Because obviously, obviously obviously Bernie Sanders would have banned Christianity. He would have banned Christianity. Absolutely. You're absolutely right. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, it, it makes no sense at all. Um, but before we can dwell too much on how nonsensical all this, all that is, there's an ambush. So they were in like a kind of crater where a uh, a power plant used to be, I guess. Um, so they're kind of in the middle of the the, the bowl that the crater that the crater makes. Uh, but coming up on the rim of the crater, there's a handful of well remembered gray skinned aliens. Oh man, cover! Han shouts to the others. They go ducking behind a, a big piece of rubble. Uh, there's Wedge and Leia and, and Han there as, uh, as they're getting blasted at. And then um, after, a, after a little bit, uh, they hear the, the whine of a, a spaceship, a familiar whine of a spaceship. Uh, and it comes flying in. It's the Millennium Falcon. And it, uh, it's like, oh, Chewie must have put two and two together that our comms were being jammed. So he figured we need some help. So here he comes swooping over there and it lands in the, the ramp comes down so they're all ready to run out there but something's not right something's wrong leia has her spider sense tingling and uh and she's saying she can't feel chewy's presence on the ship and then it turns out like oh yeah and he's not like shooting them with the guns or anything either what's going on there it turns out yeah this, it's this a is trap great i really liked this actually i thought this was a fun scene it turns out that they dug up another working yt 1300 freighter somewhere <laughs> <laughs> to, to send over there, and I thought it was pretty clever. And oh, I hope this as as, as my notes put it, they try to fool Han with a fake Falcon. Yeah, yeah, and I, I liked that. I thought it was like, you know what? Good on the no greed. That's pretty fun. Um, and so it actually does end up being a pretty fun little uh, action scene. I'm gonna give Zon some real credit here. I, I I enjoyed this part. I thought it it went with a good clip. Um, the it, it felt kind of rushed and panicky as they're figuring out what to do. And it ends up that their, their idea is that, well, they need to disable that other ship before the Nogri get wise to the fact that they know it's a fake. They have to act like they are going to get rescued. So all three of them dash over there. But then Leia and Wedge start laying into the, you know, shooting up the, the, uh, the ramp at whoever was waiting to ambush them up there while Han takes the lightsaber and cuts a few brake lines to send a bunch of poison gas up into the, you know, basically sprays a bunch of antifreeze into the uh, into the ship and sends this big plume of smoke up into the sky as it, you know, evaporates off up there. Uh, so they're taking cover under the ship that's disabled. And then the real Millennium Falcon, uh, oh no, not the real Millennium Falcon, but sorry, the uh, the X-Wing's Rogue Squadron comes flying comes flying through to to blast the bad guys and and clear and clear the area. Uh, to get them to safety uh, because they saw, of course, you know, basically Han was able to not only, you know, knock out a bunch of guys with poison gas, but also 
send a big plume of white smoke up into the air that sure looks suspicious so that the 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 cavalry came running to check it out um and that was that was pretty good i liked that part <laughs> i'm i'm still annoyed by the nelgri being gray-skinned aliens because i realized that when i when i read about them i'm mentally picturing you know the classic gray alien because that's all oh, that sure. they've been described as is having gray skin and so needle like, teeth but i don't know how teeth, those teeth fit together I, I yeah know. yeah it's annoying describe better timothy's on <laughs> that's that's the one thing he can't do <laughs> and it's so, like uh, the one thing that star wars is known for is like the imaginative creatures yeah, well, that's the thing. I mean, that's, well, that's what we were talking about. Like, the, the real magic of Star Wars is in the production design, right? It's in the spaceships, it's in the props, it's in the sets, it's in the creature design. So if you're going to write the, a Star Wars novel... the bounty novel, hunters. Yeah, they got... The, yeah, the bounty... Yeah, exactly. Like, if you're going to write a Star Wars novel, it's going to have to be... It's going to have to have interesting imagery. Because that's what makes people like Star Wars, I'm convinced. Like, you know, people convince themselves it's the the... Joseph or the John Campbell bullshit, but it's not. It's because it was a cool looking movie and it looks cool and we like the weird space monsters. Um, just, uh, I don't know, a strange approach. A strange approach. Um, I, I still I still hold steadfast to my theory that he's like, well, industrial light and magical just, you know, come up with something <laughs> when this is filmed. That's, that's right. <laughs> when this is, uh, when this is inevitably filmed. Um, so anyway, which, the, honest, uh, which honestly, probably better than the sequel trilogy. Oh, if this had been filmed. Oh, absolutely. I, I even though we're, hey, look, folks, we're having fun. We're 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 busting Timothy Zahn's balls here a little bit, but at the end of the day, this all makes so much more sense as a Star Wars story than what they did. And I, but the thing is, I understand. You know, they would have had to have make the, made this in the '90s for the actors to be able to pull it off basically um like you couldn't you couldn't make this movie in 2012 because you know that's we had old han and old leia or whenever that first movie came out i don't know 2014 whatever yeah Um, i don't know do you think mark hamill you know would have room in his busy schedule in the early 90s to to film a movie that's true he was busy becoming a a voiceover icon at the time Voicing yes. uh, the Joker on Batman the Animated Series. And the Hobgoblin in the Spider-Man Animated Series. Oh, word. I did not was, know that. Which was basically just, like, the Joker, but shittier. <laughs> Shitty Joker. Yeah. Hey, that would be that would be a movie I would watch. Shitty Joker. Uh, well, anyway. Uh, so the cavalry arrives. Rogue Squadron saves the day. They're able to get back to the Millennium Falcon and, of course, hightail it out of there. Um, and which opens up like this scene opens up with a fun, uh, a fun bit. I can assure you, Captain Solo, Admiral Akbar's gravelly voice came over the Falcon speakers that we are doing everything in our power to find out how this happened. That's what you said four days ago. Han reminded him, <laughs> like, what a week. <laughs> this is rough. Uh, but you know, but Han notes that like someone, you know, someone knew that they were coming to Fash. So there's some kind of security leak there in the Imperial Palace uh, that... I like how many people Akbar says, like, know that they were going to Bafash 
He says like over 200 people. Yeah, yeah. He says, uh, uh, you might be surprised, Akbar said, between the council members, their staffs, the prep crews at the spaceport, and various security and support personnel, there may be up to 200 people who had direct access to your itinerary. And that doesn't include friends and colleagues any of those 200 might have mentioned it to. Tracking through all of them is going to take time. Like, yeah, work on your OPSEC, man. Like, you've had an assassination attempt on your one diplomat. Maybe tighten it up a bit. Uh, you know, but I'm not I'm not a fish man, so uh, I don't know. Can uh, we talk about how uh, Timothy Zahn has clearly never met a pregnant woman? <laughs> let's do. Let's let's crack this open. Yeah, because I I'm just <clears throat> I I read this book and I constantly forget that uh, not only is Leia pregnant, she's pregnant with twins. Yeah, which yeah should like really like limit her ability to do a lot, especially, you know, running and jumping around and, and getting into mischief on unpronounceable planet names. (laughs) That's true. It's, it's, and I do kind of forget as well, but every now and then like he'll mention like Leia to caressed her belly or something for us to remember like, Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. She's pregnant. But yeah, they're really, they are running this woman just haggard. When she should definitely not be doing this. Like, uh, like it was bad enough, like, when, when, when my wife was pregnant. Like, you know, she was, you know, still going to work every day up until uh, a couple weeks before her due date. And that was in an office. I mean, like, you know, that's, I mean, not nearly as stressful as, you know, being ambushed at the flea market. You know, or the, or the war. Yeah, and, 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 and your wife is not an intergalactic diplomat, I believe. She, not that I am aware of. Although, hey, you know okay. something? We're, we're uh, it's our tenth anniversary next month, and uh, we're always, you know, still surprising each other in little ways. So maybe she is. I don't know. Um, just a little wife appreciation moment there, everybody. Um, <laughs> although I'm not a wife, you're guy. gonna end up being taken down like that try guy, dude. <laughs> this is gonna, this is what's gonna like bust it open. Like our, <laughs> it turns out that like, I'm gonna have to like, a... I'm gonna have to do like a forty minute apology uh, podcast <laughs> about. Like, oh, he talks so much about how much he loves his wife, and he talked to his wife about dumb Star Wars stuff. And uh, oh, it turns out, what would I, what would I get busted for? What would be my scandal? I'm, Probably I'm sending very... like dirty DMs to like a, a Twilex uh, cosplayer. <laughs> that would, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I'm not going to say I could see that happening because I would never. But uh, I could see that happening for the purposes of that being very funny. Um, it would so be Han funny. And, Han and Akbar are having a uh, a little argument uh, about everything. Um, let's see. Uh, so so Han doesn't feel good about going back to Coruscant because, of course, the, whatever kind of like they have an intelligence leak there. So you know, clearly their information is coming from you know inside the inside the house, basically. So he doesn't feel good about coming back to Coruscant. Um, so he starts thinking up ways for Leia to catch a break and go somewhere safe. Uh, and they, they cook up. This takes a long time of them like talking about a bunch of stuff about like, oh, well, you could go to a place that has an official uh, ambassador consulate there so you could get the official Coruscant news through the, amb- the, the diplomatic receiver. Uh, and we can tap the transmission using the Falcon's diplomatic receiver, but only if we can get a hold of the station's encryption scheme. 
And, like, all of this just seems like you're Princess Leia. You're the boss of all of this. You're the one diplomat they have. Surely you can go to any consulate on any planet and say, hey, show me your, your, your diplomatic receiver feed. I don't see why they have to, you know, do it, like, on the down low. I guess it's, I guess it's for OPSEC, though. I guess it's like they can't trust that anyone isn't in on the spy ring, I suppose. Uh, so anyway, all this leads up to the fact that uh, they'll have to, in order to break those encryption codes, Han snorted. I hate to disillusion you, sweetheart, but there are slicers running around loose who eat government encrypt codes for breakfast. All we have to do is find one of them. And here's and Ronnie, here's a helpful endnote uh, for slicers. Again, a word that echoes a familiar term, hacker, but is different enough to fit comfortably into the Star Wars universe. TZ. God damn it, Timothy's <laughs> on, you've done it again. Masterful. Absolutely masterful. Uh, so uh, so Han is thinking, all right, for this little plan to work, we got to get, uh, you know, we got to hire some slicers. And who do I know who knows some slicers? Uh, it's like, do I get to know where we're going? Leia asked as he started the pre-launch sequence. I already told you, Han said. We need to find someone who we can trust who has his own list of illegals. A suspicious glint came into her eye. You don't mean Lando. Who else? Han said innocently. Upstanding citizen, former war hero, honest businessman. Of course he'll have slicer contacts. Leia rolled her eyes skyward. Why, she murmured, do I suddenly have a bad feeling about this? ba bum ba And that's the end of chapter 10. We're, we're, we're teased Lando Calrissian, the, the only brother in space. I guess until the new trilogy. Oh, I, I, I like how, you know, Han Solo's like, okay, where where can I find, uh, you know, sketchy uh, contacts? Oh, yeah, my only black friend. <laughs> <laughs> I did not even think of that. And it's like, Han, you're already a smuggler. You should have your right. own underground contacts. You were talking to Jarvis, you know, a couple chapters ago. Whatever that guy's name was. Travis. Uh, Travis. Travis. Yeah, Travis McElroy. Um, yeah, like you, 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 you yourself are as are. Honestly, Han himself is a is a scuzzy contact. Like I'm sure there are people who are like, huh? I need I need to find a guy who knows a bunch of bad guys. Let me call up Han Solo. <laughs> uh but yes, yeah, he does. He, he so he has to call his only black friend to hook him up with some criminals to hide his pregnant wife, but so she can still keep up with her Facebook feed. So that's yep. That's where we are there, <clears throat> and that closes out this section of Heir to the Empire. Ronnie, how how are you feeling about this? You, you, how we uh, how's how's it coming together? How's it shaping up to you? Well. uh... Before we got on the air, I said that uh, that this uh, portion of the book was a bit thin, but actually in the course of talking it out with you, I found that there were many uh, elements to enjoy, such as, uh, you know, the, the Bothan, uh, Bosk, Freyla, you know, continuing being a jerk, and, and uh, <laughs> you know, uh, uh, what is it, Hidden Fade? Hidden yeah. Fade, yeah. And of course, the the bountiful end notes you have bestowed <laughs> upon us. I was so, I honestly, I don't think I've been like happier to give anyone a gift the way 
I was able to give you this insight straight from the master. Uh, the, the, the gasp that left my lips when I discovered this. Absolutely incredible. Just perfect. I cannot wait to really... I love that we have an annotated critical edition of Heir to the Empire to consult. <laughs> oh, absolutely perfect. Well, uh, well, uh, listeners, I, uh, I hope you enjoyed our, our recap of chapters uh, 8, 9, and 10 of, uh, of Heir to the Empire. Uh, next time we will be covering... I think the three chapter clumps are, are, are working well for us. So we'll, we'll hit chapters 11, 12, and 13. Uh, for the next episode, um, and the the exciting adventures of uh, Space Millhouse and uh, Jorus Kabeoth and all of our favorite characters, but uh, I'm, I'm hoping but, uh, Dravis makes a comeback. I want, yeah, I want to see Dravis. I want to, I want to see what other kind of fun ship names Talon Card has. Um, I want to get back into to Winter. See what she's doing. She was mentioned once in all these three chapters. <laughs> she had like one kind of major scene in very early on that felt like she would be like a foil for leia but she has yet to appear since uh i I do like how uh i do like how zan is uh willing to you know just slow roll all of this to the point where we're probably going to find out why mara jade hates luke skywalker by like chapter 30 (laughs) yeah because remember we we have two other books in the trilogy so we might even not even find out until the next book that's true. Yeah, I mean, there's. I, we'll see how long he can he can uh, he can draw out the. T- we'll see how long this master of suspense can keep us uh, can keep us on the edge of our seats. Um, but until then, of course, we uh, here on Thronderdome, uh, we like to take a moment. Uh, the next segment in our show after the recap is for Ronnie and I to grapple with one another uh, as two oiled, muscly Turkish wrestlers of the mind as we uh we grapple with each other and our sweaty bodies and also with the issues of the day uh that uh as 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 thesis and antithesis we create synthesis it's the hegelian dialectic this is the thronder dome where two men enter and two men leave uh in today's topic for robust uh polite debate um, Ronnie, your, your prompt that you suggested was just alien conspiracy theories. So I'm not even sure where the pros, pro and con sides are on this. So I'm going to let you have the floor first to sign a kind of, uh, to do, to do the table setting. And then I will disagree with you. Okay. So I believe that alien conspiracy theories are fun and, uh, a useful expenditure of time. Uh, because they're silly, they don't make any sense, you can get really invested in them, and you can imagine all sorts of uh, crazy uh, creatures like the greys or the reptilians even. Uh, Also, Galen Conspiracy Theories uh, inspired The X-Files, one of the greatest shows of all time. Um, And uh, I think, unlike a lot of uh, conspiracy theories, uh, such as uh, the ones alleging that, uh, you know, Sandy Hook didn't happen or the two, the 2020 election was stolen. There's, there's no real harm in believing that there are a bunch of, uh, guys in flying saucers going around and, uh, anally probing people, uh, <laughs> for, for pleasure and, and for further education. All right. Um, 
Fair, fair enough. I uh, I can't argue with the fact that it did inspire the X Files, uh, which was a show that I enjoyed also. Um, I, I'm not going to sit here and say I didn't uh, I didn't love settling in every Sunday uh, to watch The Simpsons and then have that followed up by the X Files to see what uh, what old Spooky Mulder was up to this week. Um, I'm going to push back a little bit on them being harmless and. That is largely derived from the fact that almost every alien conspiracy theory is, in fact, a reskinned anti-Semitic conspiracy theory. <laughs> and I mean almost every one of them. Um, and this goes a ways back, <clears throat> and it kind of it's kind of part of that tendency when it comes to conspiracy theory in general that eventually you get to the Jews. Um, that seems to be just kind of a, a thing that happens when you start down the conspiratorial route on a lot of stuff. Um but there is, I mean, like you said, there is a lot of fun in the various, like, imagined maneuverings and, and uh, motivations on the part of different alien races, like the Greys, like the Reptilians. But also, like, you didn't mention the Nordics. I don't know if you know much about the Nordics, Ronnie. Um, but these are more like your space brothers. Um, these are the good aliens. They're the wise aliens who are trying to stop the greys and the reptilians from their machinations. They also just coincidentally happen to resemble tall, beautiful blonde people. Now, you know, I'm not, I'm not saying that there's necessarily a racist element to the fact of there being a major thread in alien conspiracy theory where the good advanced people who are trying to save you are white people who are blonde and blue-eyed and know everything and are better than the other aliens who are you are disgusting and animalistic and degraded but i'm just saying that the, you know it's pretty easy to fit your kind of white supremacist ideology in that little framework um not that anyone necessarily is doing that uh i'm sure there are some people who are doing that very intentionally i just think it's that's kind of a latent thread in all this that uh, you could I don't think we have had any... We haven't had any alien conspiracy mass shooters, have we? I don't think we have. No. No, we haven't, yeah. So, perhaps not as directly dangerous as, like, your Great Replacement... Like, like the directly anti-Semitic Great Replacement theory stuff that inspired that guy to shoot up uh, Tree of Life Synagogue. Um, but I will point out that a lot of the... Well, even on the X-Files, the, uh, the, the grand scheme of the Greys in the mythology episodes was to do the great replacement on human beings. <laughs> so there is, there are points of contact, and I don't think, I think, I will grant you this. I think this is, this is a, this is a disappointing uh, struggle for uh, uh, mental mastery here, because I'm going to hand it to you, Ronnie. I do think when it comes to conspiracy theory, the alien conspiracy theories are the least directly damaging, in part because they are kind of very silly. Like, they're very, they're so out there and so disconnected from... I guess like ordinary institutions and people that it seems less likely to inspire a direct attack on like a synagogue or a federal building. Um, but I don't think it's necessarily. Also, also I would argue that, you know, if we got rid of everything that has roots in anti-Semitism, we'd have like two things. (laughs) We would definitely not have at least one of the gospels, uh, I, I, you know, like I, I love him for all of his philosophical craziness, but John, buddy, woo, you got some things to work out about Jewish people. <laughs> so I, I, I do take your meaning, though, that you know we 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 have come up in a a society, you know, a, a, 
a branch here in North America. We've come up living in a, a kind of branch of Western European civilization, which has a long and storied history of working in anti-Semitism into a lot of stuff. So <sighs> I guess, I guess, you know, you're, you're kind of right that we can, we can approach all these things critically. We can have a good time with them, but if you're going for the purifying everything that's been tainted by the touch, I guess, you know, that's not really in the offing. Um, but yeah, yeah. So, so as, uh, so as usual, I win. <laughs> as usual, Ronnie wins and has persuaded me to soften my stance. I am such a fucking pushover. Uh, but anyway, it's a good segment though. I always like having our, 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 our discussions on, uh, on, on really any old thing. Um, and really, I think, you know, uh, uh, we may, maybe one of these days we'll open it up to the listeners as, because, you know, we run out of ideas pretty quick. So <laughs> we'll see about that. But anyway, thank you so much for listening to this uh, latest installment of Thronderdome, a Star Wars novels podcast. I've, uh, I've been your host, Dr. Daniel Doughty. And uh, of course, uh, Ronnie Gardaki has been my esteemed and irreplaceable co-host. Um, uh, I come, join us next time for chapters 11, 12, and 13 of Heir to the Empire by, uh, by the wizard, the master Timothy's on. Um, and, uh, we will, uh, uh, take care and we'll, we'll see you next time. Good night. <laughs>